Well, good morning. Welcome again to Church Online. It's a joy to be able to be together as a congregation. Even though we're scattered all across the region, we have the opportunity through the wonderful Internet and through the technology that we have to share together and to join our hearts together for a Sunday morning worship experience. I don't know about you, but I miss being together. And one of the things I miss the most is our Sunday morning coffee times, where after the sermon is over, after the worship service is over, we gather downstairs and have a cup of coffee and just share and talk together. And I would like to suggest that there's a way that we might be able to preserve that time, that opportunity for us to fellowship together. And that's just by calling each other on the telephone during the week, having a conversation with one another, hearing each other's voices, possibly sharing prayer requests, praying together with one another. Maybe that will help us preserve some of that fellowship that we enjoy usually on Sunday mornings after church over a cup of coffee. I've really enjoyed connecting with many of you uh, as I've called and talked with you on the telephone this past week. And I trust that uh, if there's anyone who has a need that uh, they would like us to address, that you will call me. Now, let me know if there's any way that we can come alongside of you and provide for you in a way that we could possibly do as a local church. And uh, it's just good for us to nurture one another and to look out for one another and to care for one another. I've heard many stories of people who are already doing that. And uh, I'm so proud of the way our church and our church family are stepping up to helping one another and staying connected with one another. So let's continue to rejoice together in the opportunities we have both on Sunday mornings as well as during the week to care for one another and experience fellowship together as our local church family. As we begin this morning now, let's take some time, listen to our worship leaders lead us in some wonderful, inspiring music. As we gather today for worship, today is Palm Sunday. We're used to being out with palm leaves, celebrating, but today we do this in our homes, so very aware that there are those who need our prayers desperately. His word of comfort from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that the earthly tent we live in, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. But, O oh Lord, I cry, how 
shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, pestilence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. For surely the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. And he has given us of the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Christ in me. 
As I begin now this morning to lead us into our time of prayer, I'd like to call our attention to a verse from the book of Joshua. These are words that were spoken by Moses as he was about to hand off leadership of the nation of Israel to Joshua, his assistant. And listen to what he says to Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We've been hearing a lot lately of promises of God that he will be with us wherever we go. And therefore, we need not be afraid. We need not be discouraged. And those are wonderful messages. We need to be reminded of them often. But today, I'd like to just remind you of Moses' challenge to Joshua when he says, Be strong and courageous. Now, what does it mean to be courageous? Well, in order to be courageous, you first of all have to be afraid. In order to be courageous, you first of all have to be discouraged. Being courageous or having courage is our response to fear and discouragement. And so I know in my life, I've got some fear and I've got some discouragement. And I listened to that challenge from Moses as he gave it to Joshua. And I think, you know, I need to be courageous as I face this difficult time that we're facing. And so that means that I take one step and put the next step and the next step in spite of being afraid. It means that I I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing 
in spite of being discouraged. That's what courage is. So don't feel bad if you have fears, if you get discouraged. Rather, ask God to give you his grace and his strength to be courageous and to face these times with courage. To that end, let me open up our time of prayer. And then this morning, I'm going to suggest areas of prayer and give you an opportunity to spend time together in your homes and families together as you pray through a few categories that I suggest. Father in heaven, thank you that even though we're afraid, even though we get discouraged, we know that you are with us, that you will never leave us. And as we face our struggles, knowing that you are with us, give us courage. Give us courage to keep going forward, whether it be leading our families, whether it be following your guidance in our work, whether it be continuing to do some type of ministry to our community and church. Help us to be courageous as we trust you during these days. And now I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray with your families or whoever you're with in your living room or where you're watching this service today. Take some time to pray prayers that God is sovereign, good, and just. Praise him for his goodness. The prophet Isaiah says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Spend some time praying, prayers of praise, that God is the everlasting God. to encourage you to conclude the thought now that you're praying and now let's enter into a time of prayer of confession during times of difficulties sometimes things rise up that might surprise us just like impurities rise up when gold and silver are purified when those things rise up and we're aware of them, God tells us in 1 John 1, nine, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins if we confess them to him. Spend a few moments confessing our sins to the Lord.
please conclude the thought that you're praying? And now let's pray prayers for God's grace for those who are suffering. Isaiah continues, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Prayers for God's grace for those who are suffering, knowing that he will give strength to the weary. conclude the thoughts that you're praying and finally as we conclude our time of prayer pray for God's mercy to end this pandemic and for wisdom for our nation's leaders
I'm delighted to report that our senior pastor candidate has accepted the ministry agreement developed by our church board, and he has agreed to be our formal candidate. That means that we are the only church that he's considering right now, and he is committed to proceed with us through the candidating experience. His name is Tim Beyer, and he currently serves as Associate Pastor of Children and Parenting Ministries at Grace E. Free Church in Fridley, Minnesota. He's married to Vanessa, and they have three just delightful daughters, all under the age of six. Vanessa is a full-time mom with a strong gift of hospitality and relational caring. She's just a delightful person and will be a wonderful complement to Tim's ministry as senior pastor. The first thing you'll notice about Tim is that he's young. He's the same age that Pastor Niall was when he came to us. The search committee was drawn to Tim primarily because of his strengths and the top things that we were looking for. Preaching, authenticity, ability to speak relevantly about living the Christian life in a fallen culture, and ability to relationally connect with people of all generations. We were also looking for a leadership style that's compatible with our people who has experience in developing volunteer leaders. His key strengths are that he is teachable, eager to learn, and is a collaborative leader. He's personable, likable, and naturally able to connect deeply with people one-on-one -on -one and in small groups. He is connectable rather than overly extroverted. He draws people in. He receives high marks from his references for the way he values and lives authenticity and relevance to living in a fallen culture. He is relevant without watering down the gospel. Preaching and teaching is his passion. His sermons are relevant and sprinkled with good personal authenticity. They are not flashy, but they are well-crafted and well-delivered. His references use these words to describe Tim, and I quote, Open, inclusive, engaging, makes people feel safe. He's caring. He genuinely enjoys people in any subject that they are interested in talking about. He's intergenerational. People enjoy being around him. He has a great love for people, and sacrificial service is his lifestyle. I'd say his relational strength is not in working a crowd, but rather genuinely connecting with people. The search committee thinks it is best to conduct the candidating weekend in person. We originally hoped to do it on April 26th, but as you know, the state is locked down until at least the end of April. So we are currently planning for a date in early May. However, should the COVID lockdown be projected to extend considerably beyond the middle of May, we will begin to develop a virtual candidating experience. For now, we ask that you not become fixated on timing or format, but rejoice with us that we are nearing the finish line and that our candidate is committed to us. God is good, and we trust him with the details of getting our new pastor here in a timely fashion. Our intention is to provide you with additional information about Tim every week until he comes to candidate. So please stay tuned every Sunday. Again, thank you so much for your support and for your faithful prayers for the search committee and for our new pastor. Please keep it up. 
Well, this is the time in our service where we receive our morning tithes and offerings. Once again, I'd like to encourage you to uh, pray about how God would have you to be stewards of the funds that he has entrusted into your care. Three ways that you can give to our congregational needs. First, you can bring up our website and follow the instructions for online giving. Secondly, if you'd like to text 715-600-5820, and type in give. Or you can do what my wife and I do, write out a check and send it to the church office. As you contemplate and follow through on your generous support, we thank you in advance and trust that God will bless you. Cannot outgive our Lord. Let's enjoy another section of music by our worship leaders. Good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. I'm so glad to be spending this Palm Sunday morning with you. Um, kind of with you. Um, just wanted you to know that you are missed by by your leadership here. I miss you. Um, I know Pastor Ian and Pastor Scott miss you. We miss meeting. Um, but we're so glad that you are home and you are safe. Um, and that we can still meet in this way is such such a privilege, such a big deal. Um, so we are going to sing Jesus Messiah to celebrate our Messiah. Jesus Messiah 
Today is the first day of Easter week. It may be hard for us to get into the spirit of Easter, uh, going through the upheaval in our country and community. But this is a very special season. Let's not miss out on the blessings of worship that it affords. So this week we're going to follow the steps of Jesus. We're going to walk with him on events that happen each day of the week, beginning with Sunday, then into Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thursday night, we'll experience the establishment of the Lord's Supper. And then on Friday night, we'll have a meditation about the cross. Saturday will be a day of silence. And then next Sunday morning, we'll celebrate Easter and rejoice in the new life that God has given to us through the power of the resurrection. Today we begin with what is known as a triumphal entry, or Palm Sunday. The account is found for us in Matthew chapter 21. Listen as we hear what happened on that day in the life of Jesus. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, this is Matthew's account of Jesus entering in Jerusalem following three years of ministry when he healed people, when he cast out demons, when he taught the people, when he prepared the 12 disciples to carry his message to the world. Yet during those three days, three years, it wasn't time for him to be recognized by the masses as the Messiah. And so he wanted to wait until it was his time because his time had not yet come. But now that it's the Sunday before Passover, his time had come. Luke chapter 9 verse 53 tells us that Jesus' whole demeanor suddenly changed and he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. It's kind of like he said to the disciples, okay, men, let's roll. It's time for us to accomplish what I came here to do. His final approach took him to a road down the Mount of Olives, and a great crowd gathered to parade with him into the city. That's when he made the arrangements to ride a colt. Verses 1 to 3. But Matthew alone tells us that there were two animals, a mother donkey and her colt. This was something that's very important for Matthew to refer to both animals. And it has to do with the fulfillment of the prophecy, which states that Jesus rode a colt. And it's the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So why does Matthew mention the mother of this colt? Well, if Jesus were to ride into Jerusalem on a colt without the mother present, it could have, some people could have mistaken the colt for an adult animal. Having the mother donkey present makes a clear distinction that Jesus was not riding the adult animal, he was riding a colt. And riding the colt connects this event with the prophecy of Zechariah, which specifically says that, that the king will be coming into Jerusalem riding a colt. Now, Mark and Luke don't mention the mother donkey, but they make the distinction by saying that the colt had never been ridden. 
And so that's their way of distinguishing between the mother donkey and the colt. And the reason why this is important is because establishing uh, this event with the prophecy of Zechariah by identifying Jesus as riding a colt, it brings us into the understanding of the whole prophecy which says, this is the king, the Messiah. The prophecy presents Jesus as the king. Notice how Jesus specifically instructed disciples to bring this colt. He did that because he determined it was now time for me to identify myself as the king. And so he specifically instructed the disciples, bring me the mother donkey and the colt. I will ride on the colt. So this prophecy is fulfilled, which says, as the king rides into Jerusalem, he will ride on a colt. So this summarizes uh, the orchestrated experience from Jesus that this triumphal entry demonstrates that he indeed is the king. And he wanted it to demonstrate that he was the king. Notice verse 8. The crowd spread out their coats on the path for Jesus. Here's another indication that Jesus intended this triumphal entry to portray him as the king. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, one of the kings of Israel was anointed king by the prophet Elisha. And when Elisha anointed Jehu, king of Israel, the people took off their cloaks and laid them on the steps for Jehu to walk on, and they proclaimed, praise God, Jehu is the king. Same thing happens here with Jesus. The people put their cloaks on the path, and they proclaimed, Jesus is the king. But then look at verse 9. Look at what the people cried out. They cried out, Hosanna. Now, this is a cry of blessing and proclamation. And it's coupled with the phrase, Hosanna, son of David. This connects Jesus to the promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where, where, where God gives, um, gives the, the King David a proclamation that someone on you from your family will sit on the throne of Israel forever. And so by identifying Jesus as son of David, this is someone from David's lineage and being set, set on the throne of Israel forever connects him as being the Messiah. So Jesus wanted the people to know that he was king because he accepted that proclamation. He said, it is good that you're proclaiming Hosanna, son of David. Luke tells us that the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke his disciples because that's exactly what they understood as well. Anyone who proclaims someone Hosanna, son of David, you're proclaiming them Messiah. The, the, the Pharisees then said, rebuke your disciples. Tell them they can't say that. But Jesus says, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Because if they don't proclaim it, the rocks will cry out. Because Jesus wanted people to proclaim him son of David, Messiah. He was presenting himself 
as the Messiah. That's the point of the procession into Jerusalem. Jesus made an intentional effort saying, it's time. I am proclaiming myself as king. Well, after the procession and after the celebration, Mark tells us that it was late. So Jesus went into the temple courts, took a look around, but then he went to Bethany to stay overnight with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Thus ends his activity on Sunday. Well, let's draw an application from this story. What's the point? Why did Jesus orchestrate this event? Why did he make it clear that he is the king? The timing of this event is strategic. It's obvious as we examine the events of the rest of the week. It was during Passover, and Jesus wanted as many people as possible to hear this proclamation that he is king. It couldn't be more obvious. Jesus wanted them to know he is king. But as Jesus approached Jerusalem proclaiming himself as king, he rode on a colt. Remember? Riding on a colt is a journey of peace. Not a declaration that the king was coming on a conquest to capture a town, to capture a government, to free the Jews from their Roman uh, adversaries. That's exactly what everyone expected. Verse 10 tells us that when Jesus entered the city, people cried out, Who's this? I thought this was the king, but yet we're seeing Jesus. Verse 11, people said, Well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that's not what they expected. Everything up to this point pointed that this is the king coming into town. Kings ride war horses. Kings conquer through war. If you have your finger back on Zechariah chapter 9, look at what the next verse says in this prophecy. After saying that the king will enter Jerusalem on a colt, this is what it says. Zechariah writes, I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule and extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's what kings do. But Matthew did not quote that verse because Jesus was not that kind of a king yet. He would be when he comes again, but he's not that type of a king now. Now he is a humble king. As this next week will show, now he is a suffering king. So let me propose to you a thought that summarizes what I think is this experience is all about. Jesus is the king, but on his terms. You see, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and he knew exactly what he was doing. Very few people, if any, knew with him. John chapter 12, verse 16 says, At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after he was glorified, 
did they understand what was going on. You see, Jesus presented himself as king, but not the king that everybody expected. Not the king that everybody wanted to. He said, I am the king, but on his terms. And see, I think this is a lesson that we need to learn as followers of Jesus. It's true, Jesus is our king. It's true that we are children of the king. But the king that we follow is king on his terms. You see, I would never presume upon the king to demand that he protect us from illness, to demand that he heal us from all diseases, to demand that he provide for our material comforts. Maybe he will. Maybe he will protect us. I sure pray that he does. Maybe he will heal us of all our diseases. Maybe he will provide for some of our comforts. After all, he is the king, but he's the king on his terms. You see, sometimes his terms includes suffering. Sometimes his terms include self-denial. See, his terms are humble and submissive prayer. Just like he entered into Jerusalem humbly, submissive to God's will, riding on a colt. You see, that's how we pray for the sick. We call the elders together, we anoint with oil, and we humbly, submissively pray. Jesus, you're our king. If you will, you can heal. Oh, and God has answered that prayer in wonderful ways many, many times. I've heard testimonies of people from our own church of what could only be miraculous healing, but it came with humble, submissive prayer. Confident that Jesus is the king, but approaching him humbly, submissively in prayer. Jesus entered Jerusalem intentionally making it clear he is the king, but not on their terms, on his terms. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. He's the king. And participation in his sufferings on his terms. You see, identifying with Jesus in his sufferings identifies us with his mission, with who he is as a humble, submissive king. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 12. Paul is praying that God would heal him. Verse 9, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, I believe with all my heart that God is up to something with this coronavirus. I would never be willing to even suggest what it is. I don't know what it is. What I do know is that Jesus is the king, but on his terms. I know that he is sovereign and he's good and he's just. And I know that he is merciful. And I know that he's the king, but on his terms. So following his example of humbly, submissively declaring himself king, he calls us to come before his throne in the same way. I'd like to turn to a passage in the Old Testament, a very familiar one, in Second Samuel or Second Chronicles chapter nine. Solomon just completed building the first temple, and he dedicated the first temple. Verse twelve of chapter seven. Then the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. That's an expression of God's grace, isn't it? When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will. I'm not going to squabble about whether or not this promise is meant only for the Jews of that particular time in history, or if it can be applied to God's people over all of history. That's a debate for the scholars. <laughs> what I do know from this passage is three principles. First, in the midst of difficulty, God calls his people to pray. Humble prayer. Submissive prayer. Prayer seeking the face of God. That's not just praying the Lord's Prayer. It's as helpful as praying the Lord's Prayer is. I encourage you to pray it often. But this is prayer that is, is seeking prayer. It's desperate prayer. It's, it's concerted prayer. God is calling us in the midst of all difficulties, not just when we experience a pandemic like this, but in all of life. Seek my face. Come before me. Pray. Second, God calls his people to repentance. <laughs> Turn from your wicked ways. This is not a command to the culture. This is a command to God's people. Healing begins with us. Repentance begins with us. Having God bless begins with us. It's important for us to recognize that when God reveals things to us, which 
happens in times of difficulty, confess our sins and turn from our sinful ways. And then thirdly, the sincerity of the worship of God's people does influence God to show mercy on our nation. I will hear from heaven and heal your land. If God is lifted up, I believe he will honor himself. And in response to the humble prayers of his people, I believe that he will show himself to be a merciful God. See, I think that's what Jesus modeled in the triumphal entry. He made sure everyone knew he was king, but on his terms. So with us, God is king, but on his terms. During this week, I will lead us in daily devotional thoughts that will follow this theme through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The theme, the theme that is set in the triumphal entry. And as I reflect on the events of each of these days in the week, including a Monday Thursday service with communion, and by the way, I encourage you to even begin now planning for preparing your own elements, your own bread and your own cup, so that when we have our service on Thursday, you can participate in communion. We'll also have a Good Friday service where we focus on the cross. But as we walk through this week, I'm going to suggest that we will see Jesus portrayed as the king, but on his terms, not ours. And that's the flaw that we have sometimes in our approach to God. We want God on our terms. (laughs) But I think God is reminding us, especially now, yes, Jesus is the king, but on his terms. On Tuesday, April 7th, a number of our central Wisconsin churches are calling their members to a day of fasting and prayer. Many of you received this notice last week. It's on our webpage. I'd encourage you to plan now for Tuesday the 7th to practice a time of fasting and prayer. We're not going to do a gathered thing on the Internet. It's just as God leads you in your homes, but uniting together with believers from all across our community in fasting and prayer, humble prayer, submissive prayer, recognizing that Jesus is king, but on his terms, where he calls us to come before him, seeking his mercy. If you have specific prayer requests you'd like us to know about, please email me at pastorscott at tlefc.org or shoot me a text at 920-344-9805. I call us to prayer. I call us to recognize that we can pray to one who we know is king, but to approach him on his terms, not ours. Let's enjoy one more musical selection as we conclude our time together. God bless you. We'll see you next week is my prayer.
spirit and truth Pouring out the oil of love As my worship to you In surrender I must give My every part Lord receive the sacrifice Of a broken heart Jesus what can I give So faithful 